Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Today's episode is really interesting. I'm talking to Davis Smith, and he is the CEO and founder of Cotapaxi. If you've ever heard of Cotapaxi, it's this awesome outdoor gear brand that makes everything from jackets to bags to just all sorts of outdoor equipment, backpacks. They're really well known for their luggage and and kind of duffel bags. I have a a bunch of their items. What I love about what they do is it has a really strong humanitarian mission. They call it gear for good. And they also use a lot of remnant materials from other manufacturers and like the leftover pieces of material to piece together to make these really unique and beautiful pieces of equipment. So I love that. And I love that it's very colorful. If you know me, I, you know, I love color. I love having colorful things and their gear always really stands out and I love it. I've been a fan of them for a really long time. So it was a huge pleasure to sit down with Davis. But oftentimes on this show, we hear the perspective of people who are leaving their corporate life or something really structured to start something new, whether it be a guide service or an outdoor brand or something like that. It's that entrepreneurial journey we often talk about. This is totally unique. Davis is leaving his role as CEO of Cotapaxi to answer basically a call to go on mission in Brazil for for a few years and take his whole family. So he's he's literally going to walk away for three years from this amazing role, the, the pinnacle of you know, being at this company, the CEO and founder of something that's growing rapidly to focus completely on uh, the work he's going to be doing down in Brazil. This is through the Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Davis is a Mormon. Uh, Cotopaxi is based in Utah. And yeah, it, you know, I, I, I'm not a Mormon or anything, but I thought it was a very cool story, a very uh, respectable story thing to do and, and just a very unique perspective. We don't often hear this. Like, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't hear a lot of stories of people walking away from what they've built for, for just a time. Um, but a lot can happen in three years. You know, the, the, the company can change a lot. He might find that he really wants to continue doing that. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I thought it was just really cool to talk to him. Davis got put on my radar back when he kayaked from Cuba to Florida like 10 years ago now nearly. And I I was captivated by that trip. I thought it was awesome and I've always wanted to do it. So I thought thought that was, uh, that's when I first learned about Davis and uh, the cool adventures he does and the island trips he does. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this chat. He's obviously a very strong, uh, engaging leader. He tells great stories and I'm sure Cotopaxi is going to be left in some really good hands. And if, you know, It's a brand I fully endorse. They are not a sponsor of this show, but I love what they do. I love how they've built their company. And I hope you enjoy this story of an adventurer doing another adventure in a new way. Let's dive in. Hey, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm sure a lot of y'all are very familiar with who we're talking to, or at least the company, or one of the companies that Davis here has started. But I want to welcome Davis Smith. CEO and founder of Kodo Paxi on the show today. Welcome, Davis. Yeah, thanks, Mason. It's it's fun to be on here with you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to ask, how, how many people have accidentally said David over the years, called you David? <laughs> Does that happen like every day? Uh, yeah, it happens. I even type it myself sometimes. <laughs> and I, so it's just, yeah. It's, but with the last name Smith, you know, you've got to have something a little bit different or else, you, you know, there's like 
10,000 of you in your oh, city. So yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny as uh, you got, you got two last names. You don't hear that a lot. <laughs> Usually it's two first names. Yeah. It can get confusing. Yeah. When I first learned about you, I was like, Davis, is that right? Cause I was just, you just read it as David. But anyway, yep. um, I always want to ask that something like that. But the first question I usually ask is where are you coming from? And, and is that home for you? If not, where's home? So I'm coming, uh, dialing into this from Salt Lake City, Utah. And this is, this is home for me. I've, I moved here just about 10 years ago, moved here from Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I actually, I moved to Latin America when I was four years old and I was born in Utah. My parents, uh, my mom is Canadian. Actually, my dad is from Southern California. They met in college here in Utah. I was born here, but then left when I was four and then kind of moved around a lot throughout my childhood. And my adult life, a lot of time in Latin America, some time back in the U.S. But Salt Lake is, is home for us now, and we love it here. Do you remember moving when you were four? I do. Yeah, I was. Uh, in fact, I have a four-year-old now. Actually, he just turned five last week, but I was very similar, a very similar age to what, what he is. And I'm looking at him going, oh, my gosh, like he's so little. Like at the same time, it's like he's very aware of like what's going on, you know, compared to what he was even a year ago. So I remember moving. I remember a lot of the, the details, but at the same time at four, like you certainly don't understand everything that's going on. What was kind of your sense? What was your feeling knowing like your life was getting uprooted? Then at four, it's so hard to understand like the new, I've got a son that just turned four like two weeks ago. And I just think about what would it be like to move, you know, to another continent with him right now? What would he understand? What would he not? What do you remember thinking and feeling at that time? I mean, I remember I, I had like a best friend that was our next door neighbor and I loved hanging out with him every day. We'd, we'd be hanging out. And so I remember thinking I was going to miss him, but honestly, like I, I was young enough where it kind of just, it doesn't, you don't really fully understand it. You know, you're moving, you know, you know, you're, you're moving far away, but you've got your mom and dad and you're, you know, I had my older brother and two sisters. And so it was like, I, I kind of had my nuclear life kind of moving with me. So it didn't, you know, I hadn't been to school yet. So there wasn't a, a whole lot of change. I think when you're just a few years older, it becomes a lot harder. Yeah, that's interesting. So at five, you, so you at least have with what's coming, you have a lot of obviously experience, almost exact, the exact experience to lean on for your son. But I, I mentioned this a little bit when, but right before we started recording, but you know, on this show, so often we talk to people who are leaving corporate America to start something they're passionate about. Usually around, you know, adventure sports, the outdoors, whether it be a guiding service or, a, or an outdoor company. We've had a lot of those stories, a lot of big brands and a lot of those founders on. What you're doing is super unique, man. Leaving this position kind of at, at, at what are people, a lot of people would argue is peak, peak Cotopaxi yeah. to do this totally different thing. Can you take us through gosh, I feel like we're jumping right into it when I really want to set up your background, but your background has been set up so well in some other podcasts. So I want to kind of explore new territory here. How did you come to this decision? Can you take us like, is there a story there? Can you tell us about why you're doing this? Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a huge change and you're right. I mean, it, it makes no sense professionally. What, what we're about to embark on it makes no sense financially. You know, we've spent the last, you know, nine and a half, 10 years building this brand. It's, a lot of people were saying that about Cotopaxi when you first started it too, by the way. Yeah. This makes yeah, no, no sense. That makes no sense. Yeah. You know, but to make a long story short, essentially a few years back, maybe a couple of years into Cotopaxi, I was, I was on a phone call with another entrepreneur 
And he was picking my brain just saying, hey, I love how you've built this, your brand and your culture at Cotopaxi. And I'd love to just hear like how you're thinking about it. And this was a conversation I was having a lot with a lot of different founders. And what I would tell them is like, you know, this has been such a great learning. My previous two businesses that I started, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for almost 20 years. My first two businesses, uh, I didn't think about culture the same way I did with Cotopaxi. I wasn't as intentional about it. I kind of just let it happen by default instead of by design. And so with Cotopaxi, it was really about, it was designed from the beginning before we'd sold a single product, a single backpack or jacket. We had, we knew what we stood for. We knew what our core values were. And we, we talked about how we were going to build rituals and traditions around these values. And it, it turns out like, as you, if you understand your core values and you create rituals and traditions, it really shapes behavior and ends up determining your culture. And that ends up determining your outcomes. And so what I realized is I was having this conversation with this friend as I, I was pulling into my, into my garage as I was finishing this conversation. And I, I just, for some reason, it just dawned on me. I, I was giving all this great advice about how to build great culture within organizations, but I wasn't following the advice with the organization that mattered most to me, which was my family. Like I had not, I had not been, I'd done it by default. We just, you know, we had, we have four kids and, you know, we just, we kind of just were living our lives and I realized, you know what, we can do a better job. And so I came in the home and I told my wife about this thought and we sat down that night and we created, made it just a, we identified our core values. What are the values that we want our, our, our family to stand for and how, what kind of rituals and traditions can we develop? And we have five values, each attached to a letter of our last name. So S-M-I-T-H all stand for something. It's on our wall. Our kids know about it. We meet once a week, every Monday night, and we talk about you know, we have all these fun rituals, traditions we do, and we talk about what we want to do that week and to reinforce these values. And, you know, ultimately this opportunity for us about, you know, leaving the company and, and moving to Brazil, it was, it was tied perfectly to these five core values. Can you share any like ritual or tradition that you've started that, you know, maybe could apply to a lot of people? Maybe it's not that exact value, but something fun. Cause you, cause you mentioned on one of the podcasts I listened to about you, all these fun and interesting ways you get to know your team at Cotopaxi. And I was like, all of these are good ideas. I, I, you could take any one of these and really focus on them and make it, put it into practice, basically. So I'm sure there's a lot of little things like that with your family values that's really cool. Yeah, maybe a couple that I could share. One of them, the I in our, in our last name, uh, that value stands for being intellectually curious. It's uh, the idea of like, we want to learn and we love learning and we love learning about new places and new things. And you know, having new experiences. And so one of the things that I, I remember being frustrated with is my, my two daughters, you know, teenage daughters that when I'd come home from work, they'd be like watching, uh, they had some show on Netflix they were watching all the time. And I'd come home. It's like, why are we watching TV all the time? Like, why don't you guys read a book? You know? And I could say that I said it literally like 50 times. And of course it never changed. Like they never started reading books because I was complaining about why they're watching, you know, Netflix. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we decided to do was, you know, why don't we create a ritual around being intellectually curious, which was, uh, and if we want them to read, why don't we create this, this tradition? So every Sunday afternoon, uh, we go to church in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we spend an hour together as a family. Everyone gets a book that they're interested in. And for an hour, we, we go into our master bedroom when we have pillows and blankets all around and we have some snacks that they can snack on and, Everyone for an hour just reads a book. And then at the end, we all share what we read and why it was interesting to us and what, we, what we're learning. And it was awesome. And all of a sudden, our kids, 
this is like their favorite thing. Like they can't wait for Sunday afternoon to go read and have snacks and treats and to share with each other. And it's totally changed. And now all of a sudden I see my kids like reading all the time because they're like, they, they've gotten into it. So that's maybe one example of how this has kind of changed the way that we operate as a family. You mentioned you, you were kind of giving this advice from like a business point of view, but realizing you were overlooking your actual family. Once you got that family, like not in order, but got those practices and those habits in place, how, how did it spread from there into other parts of your life? Because it sounds like that was ultimately not the goal, but like you, you had to start with your family at least. Certainly. I mean, I think the families it's the core of our lives, right? And I know, I mean, a lot of us spend a lot of time, maybe even more time at work than we do with our, with our own families. And, but I think that's, if, if nothing else, like that's why it's so important. Because like, uh, frankly, our families are more important than any work we do. So if we're spending less time with them, we better make those, those minutes really valuable and we better maximize that time. And so, you know, the, setting up this, this, this really intentional culture, family culture, not only has changed our family, but yeah, it's certainly changed. It's changed the way I lead at Cotopaxi as well. Um, it's made me a better leader and it's created some really rich life experiences. One of our values is around, you know, seeing the world and really valuing experiences more than things and stuff, things that we can buy. And so, you know, I took, my, I love doing survival trips. I took my two girls on a survival trip with my dad. The four of us went and I did my first one with my dad when I was about their age. And you know, the four of us went and it was just like, oh, this is like one of my life highlights. Just thinking about this time with my, my two girls doing this. So, yeah. Can you tell us, if you don't mind, like dive into that survival trip a little bit, because I heard this might not be the same one I'm thinking of, but you didn't take any food or anything like that. Like you, y'all went to an island. Where was this island? Like roughly, if you can't give specifics and what was kind of the, what was the, the overarching goal of this experience or what, what, what did you do? Yeah, so I do these survival trips once or twice a year and I go oh, to different wow. places. That often. Yeah, and I generally I generally don't bring food depending on where I'm going, you know, but it's it's amazing. I mean, it's 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 really incredible like what you can do and when you kind of realize like I can go someplace and I can survive and I can find food and I can I I can have this really amazing experience that kind of it just connects back to this this caveman inside of us, you know, that that, that could survive anywhere. And um, I've done some really amazing ones. And frankly, there's been some, some scary moments on, on parts of them, but like, that's something that just, I, I love, I love that part of it, that things don't always go right. And, you know, you find ways to be resilient and to, you know, to, to work through them. But yeah, I've done a number of them in the Bahamas and a string of islands called the Exumas. Um, I, I get a little sailboat and you can fit like three people or four people with your gear and you just sail island to island and you just camp and spear fish and eat coconuts and done some in Belize. Did one a couple of years ago in the in the Amazon jungle with some friends and we caught a, a caiman crocodile and ate it and uh, slept in hammocks in the jungle every night with monkeys overhead and jaguars, uh, you know, roaring around, you know, at night, like kind of some wild stuff. <laughs> that is wild. That is uh you know, this is the adventure sports podcast and it really is it's adventure stories. So that, that sounds like it should be like the focus of this episode, honestly, because that's like, <laughs> that's epic. And I don't think we've actually done a lot of like survival focused trips, but why should more people do something like that? What, what do you think doing it that often too, like every six, eight months, however often you do it, what, what does it give you for that time in between? What do you think it kind of feeds or fuels? 
Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I will say this, like it's something I, I never stopped thinking about. I mean, I was just with my one of my brothers yesterday and last year my my dad and brothers and I, we all went on a survival trip for a week and a few of my brothers had never actually gone on one of these before. Like my dad used to take my older brother and I on them, but then my younger siblings, like just for, because we'd moved from Latin America back to the United States, they just didn't have the same experiences. And so they were also excited, but I was with my younger brother. And of course this just came up like, oh my gosh, like that trip, it was just crazy. Like we just had some really wild experiences. I got stung by a stingray. Like, oh, it was just, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we just had, were chuckling about some of the things that went wrong. And yeah, but, you know, it's it just brings me so much joy. And just honestly, the anticipation of the next one gives me just as much joy as the memory of the last one. So oh, yeah. I love just anticipating what the next adventure might be and uh, who I can bring on it. I mean, that's one of the things I enjoy most. I've never done one by myself. Mm. There's a part of me that's like, ah, oh, that might be interesting to go do. And at the same time, it's like, why? Like, I get so much joy in being with somebody else. And sometimes I just go with one person. I've done a few of them with a cousin of mine. We love adventuring together and we love being together. And we just kind of think similarly. And both are kind of a little bit of, you know, willing, he's an entrepreneur as well. So willing to take some risks and do things that maybe most people might feel a little uncomfortable doing. We, we actually, we kayaked out to a reef uh, 50 miles off the shore of Belize and we slept on the reef. Like the reef just barely comes above the, the like it drops like 5,000 feet into the ocean. Jeez. But we, we put our kayaks, we were in these Oru kayaks. They're these like origami style kayaks where you can fold them up. We flew on a plane with them, threw them on a chicken bus, rode you know, this bus down to a little beach town. And then we ended up on this reef and we just, we opened up our kayaks and we slept inside the kayaks because they kind of make little pods or hammocks almost on top of this coral reef and we speared a fish and cooked it right there on top of the reef and built a fire and like on top of this coral and the water is kind of rushing through the reef, especially as the tide rises, though almost the whole reef gets covered, but like the fire is like sitting on top of this coral. So water's like rushing underneath the fire. It's just like this weird, amazing experience, but I love sharing these moments with somebody else. And then it's amazing what you what happens with relationships when you spend a week together relying on each other to survive. Uh, it's really special. Has there been any truly scary moments on these? I'm sure there's been a few. I mean, if you do these a couple of times a year, you've probably had, you know, a dozen or more of these experiences, or at least you will in time if you keep doing it. But there had to have been some, some close calls with either da dangerous situations or from a number of variables. Yeah, there's a few situations that have been really scary. Uh, you know, that one on the reef that I mentioned, sleeping on this reef, I've actually gone back and done that a second time now. But the first time, we weren't exactly sure if the reef would stay above the water like the entire time or if the, or if the tide would take it, like be above it. We thought we were pretty sure we were safe. But then like in the middle of the night, the, the, the tide just kept rising. And pretty soon we were almost underwater. And the wave is, there's like this huge wave crashing on the reef. And it kept getting closer and closer. We had a sat phone. We ended up calling a buddy and we that, that also kayaks. And we're like, hey, we need you to check the, the tidal charts of this exact spot and let us know when is the tide going to turn because we're like, it's pitch black. This waves are about to crash on us. We're like, we're starting to freak out a little bit. 
And so we called him back 10 minutes later. And he's like, good news. The tide is going to turn in minutes. And so we would, we'd been watching it on these different pieces of coral to see how it was rising. And sure enough, it, it, the tide turned and all of a sudden, you know, we could sleep, you know, in peace. But, you know, there was a moment I was actually, I was pretty scared because I thought if this, if this wave starts crashing on us, it, you know, our kayaks aren't buoyant because we're laying inside of them and it's so dark. I like, we don't feel comfortable, like trying to kayak out of here in the middle of the night. Like it was a little bit sketchy. Jeez. Yeah. I had another kind of scary moment, a kayak experience as well. This one wasn't exactly a survival trip, but it was with that same cousin. And we, we kayaked from Cuba to Florida. And so it was like a 35 hour paddle, no, no resting, no sleeping. You did that. Yeah. That, and yes, I read about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we did this trip and we organized it with a, a couple other buddies and we, we, we sailed to Cuba with our kayaks. And then we had the sailboat as our, like our, our escort or support boat on the way back. And there was a huge storm and it's a long story, but our kayak ended up breaking in half. We got hit by our, by our support boat during the storm. And we were trying to salvage the kayak. We tried to flip it back over and it'd been damaged, but we weren't sure how badly. And we couldn't get the water out. And eventually after like an hour, it just, it was, it, the, it, it was like a fiberglass kayak. It ended up breaking in half and it, it sank to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, it was, and you know, they fished us out of the water. We had a, two spare kayaks on this, on this boat. And so we were able to eventually get back in the water and finish this, this paddle. But I was pretty, honestly, I, I'm still, I have a little bit of PTSD, like the sound of lapping waves at night at dark like it creates some, like something inside of me gets stirred that I don't like. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's, there's been some scary moments, but uh, at the same time, it's like, that's why I love it. It's like, you know, adventure begins when everything goes wrong. You know, I was going to say, if you ever want to do a trip in the Everglades, I, I'm, I'm based in Florida. As someone who, who owns and, and runs a brand like Cotopaxi, which is so tied to the mountains and tied to kind of maybe Alpine culture almost, do, do you feel like this urge to bring that brand with you in these like tropical and subtropical areas? Maybe there's more representation there than I realized, but since moving to Florida, I've noticed that things like Cotopaxi aren't, aren't, aren't as evident, but is, is there like that desire there as, you know, just a serial entrepreneur say, like, how, how do I get Cotopaxi here? Yeah. You know, there's definitely, you know, we live in the mountains here in Utah. I love the mountains, but at the same time, like I'm actually, I, you know, I didn't grow up skiing or rock climbing like so many people here did. I, you know, I grew up on the ocean. And so that is really like my first love and something I just always go back to is the ocean. And, but you're right. Like our, our brand is definitely a lot of packs and gear and uh, even tents and sleeping bags and, you know, outerwear that, that, that you can go up into the mountains with. And I love that. And I love the mountains and I love backpacking and, and camping and but yeah, there's going to be more and more product that kind of caters towards the the adventurer that that, that spends time in more tropical climates because I'm I'm demanding it. It's like, hey, I'm going on this trip. I like I want I you're want more of demand. our gear. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, need, I need some stuff out here. That's, that's I need some kayak here. That is so funny. What do people think about those trips that you do? And by the way, I didn't I didn't think this was going to take up this much conversation, but it's so fascinating. I I didn't realize they were they were this often. And I and I read about your story of kayaking from Cuba uh, to Florida years ago because I wanted to do that same experience. And I just put together that was you. I did not come across it again in our research. That was back in 2015, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. What do the people around you think about these 
semi-annual experiences you do? Is it just, you know, that's Davis and his crazy adventures or, you know, that's, yeah. that's unwise. I don't know. Yeah. It could be a range. Yeah. I think a lot of people ask my wife, they're like, Oh, what do you think about this? And uh, she's just like, ah, whatever. Like I, I think she's just kind of used to it at this point, but I love it. I love that. It's different. I mean, I, I think, you know, I love, I love traveling. And I, I, I remember when I was, you know, in college and, you know, in my twenties, like so many people love to go to Europe or to Hawaii and, for me, it was always like, ah, I want to go some, I, I don't have any interest in going to those places. Although I do now I've been now and I, I understand what the draw, these are amazing places. You know, Europe's fantastic. Hawaii's so fun, but I have always wanted to go to places that were different. I went, I went to North Korea and spend a week in North Korea. Like I, I like to go places that most people, I've been to Cuba three times. Like I, I like going places where most people aren't going. And I don't know exactly why. I mean, just part of it's just the curiosity of seeing a part of the world that no one else has seen. And part of it is I, I love the storytelling that comes from it, you know, and being able to talk about it. And it's become part of who I am and maybe even part of my, my, my personal brand is, you know, someone that likes to go do really unique things. And I, I really get a lot of joy from doing them. I'm going to switch gears a little here and talk about the pandemic, you know, that you were in the position of CEO to weather that. And it sounds like, you know, you learned so many lessons, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, you were 100% someone that liked everybody being in the office. And you kind of were not, I don't, I don't want to say anti-remote work, but much less inclined to. What, what, and now you're the opposite from a conversation I recently heard you, 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 you talk about your perspective on that. What did you learn about like the quality of work or the experience of working remotely that made you a much more okay with it post-pandemic? Yeah, uh, you know, honestly, Mason, I was anti-remote work okay. before the All pandemic. Right. I, I really was. I I was the biggest believer in being in the office. And I, I discouraged people from working at home. If they were going to work at home, like they needed to like basically ask to do it and get a thumbs up, which was basically what never happened. If people joined our team, they needed to move to Salt Lake City where we're based. Like I wanted everyone in the office because I, I loved being together. I loved... I really felt if we're going to build an amazing culture, we can't we can't do that if people aren't in the office. And what I learned with it when the pandemic began was that that I, I, there were some things that I believed that weren't always that weren't really true. And a few months by by August of 2020, I had made the decision that we were we were going to make a big change. Was we were going to go remote first, and we're going to keep our you know we kept our office. We've actually expanded it a little bit, even though you know our team's grown maybe by like five times since the pandemic began. But, you know, our office has barely grown just because so many people are, are not in Utah. Or if they are in Utah, they're like me and they're working at home. And what I learned was like, I just found I was more efficient. And look, there's pros and cons. It's not that it's better one way or the other. There's like, there's good and bad. But the benefits that I saw was number one, I was working so much more efficiently because I wasn't getting distracted all the time by people tapping me on the shoulder to talk to me. Or, you know, there was just, I found like I was just not efficient when I was in the office because so many other things were getting thrown at me all the time. And I think the biggest benefit that I saw was that we were able to start recruiting people from all over the country. And we had just an incredible recruiting advantage when we were willing to hire remotely and not have people move. And so all of a sudden we started adding these incredible people and frankly, a lot more diverse people as well, because when you're in the mountain West, it's just not that diverse compared to the coast. Right. Some major advantages there. And maybe even break into new markets because of that 
new perspective and just like, hey, think about this, or this is actually much bigger here than you might think. Absolutely. Better and different perspectives. And frankly, just from a personal standpoint, like, you know, I was, I was helping change diapers at home and I was helping potty train my little boy. And I was doing the dishes at home. And Mason, I've seen you nod. I think we have boys that are almost, you know, similar in age, like you were probably doing the same stuff. And it's like, I loved it. All of a sudden I was like, I never, I never realized what I was missing by not being present for these family moments. And I was a better partner because I was helping around the house more. And all of a sudden it was like, I started doing the dishes every day. It was kind of like my thing. And I would, I would listen, I would listen to some stuff while I was doing the dishes. And I just found like, wow, like I would never, I want, I never want to go back to what I was doing before. Like this just feels so much more balanced and, and you know, there's some downsides. There's some things that we miss about being together. In a position of leadership, how do you maintain some of those healthy parts of being together? What, what do you do to kind of make up for that? It, because that, I, I just feel like that's, that's the path forward. And you're clearly going to be benefiting from that with your next move, like that willingness to work remotely. So h- how do you do it? we've tried to create new rituals and traditions. So our core values did not change, but our traditions certainly have. Like we've had to rethink all of our rituals and traditions that we had before, and we've had to create new ones. And so some of the things that we've done, you know, we, every other Friday we do, um, we do what we call a virtual hike. Everyone on the company has a calendar item, a zoom call where they can dial in and they can go walk around the block or go on a, on a trail near their homes. And someone on the, in the, in the company. Uh, in fact, this last Friday, a few days ago, it was our, our incoming CEO, Damien, who's been our president for the last year. You know, he did his, uh, what we call a lifeline. And you basically just walk everyone through your life and you show a bunch of pictures. You want, there's, you guys are walking on walking, you can look at your phone, there's just slides and they're kind of walking through the, their childhood and where they grew up and some of the challenges they went through. We had one woman talk about how she'd been adopted. Another talked about her divorce and like, they just, oh, people open up in a way I've never seen at the water cooler. All of a sudden we're getting like, we're really getting to know somebody intimately in a way that we just never did before. And it's become this favorite thing of mine, you know, uh, these virtual hikes. So that's been really special. And then every summer we do a summer camp for three days. We've got that coming up for us in, in less than two weeks. So the whole company flies into Utah. We go spend time mountain biking and hiking and rock climbing, whatever people want to do. There's activities for anyone, any skill level or interest, like, but it's, it's just a great time to all spend together and, you know, eat meals together and tell stories over campfire and lay out the vision for the next year. It's just a really special and fun time. Yeah. yeah, I I love that. It sounds like you're making the most of it. And and I want to ask, I was setting all that up because I really want to know kind of those lessons you've learned, but also in a strange way, a lot of those lessons you've learned are, you know, you weather this storm called the pandemic and come out the other side. I think, you know, we're pretty safe to say we're, we're through this and a lot of things have changed. And like we were just talking about remote work is now the norm, a lot of new norms, a lot of new avenues, a lot of new branches of different trees that now exist. And, and you've figured this out and you're coming through it. And now you're totally leaving in the sense of like physically into a new space for a time, a three year period. How does that feel for you? Like I just gained all these new skills, all this perspective, all this uh, weathering of a storm to now jump into a a totally different world. How have you been processing that? You know, change is, change is hard. It's always uncomfortable. And, you know, you start to figure something out and you think, oh, like I don't, 
I want to just keep doing this. It's working. Like, I just want to keep on this path. And what I found is like some of my greatest life experiences have come when I've been able to force myself to get out of my comfort zone to go do something that I'm a little bit uncomfortable with. And and it might've been, you know, my very first business choosing to leave and go to business school. You know, so many of my entrepreneur friends were like, you're crazy. Like, why are you, why are you leaving this business to go to business school? Most of these MBAs are, they're hoping to go build a business after school. You've already done it. Like, why are you going back to school? And then business school was life-changing. It put me on a different path. And then I, I moved to Brazil and started a business there. And it's like, that was really hard and really uncomfortable and really challenging. And then I left and I, I moved back to the United States and built a brand with, you know, high risk. Like I got rejected over and over and over by investors and people just didn't believe that we needed another outdoor brand or how would you possibly compete against these other incredible brands that are out there? And, and now I'm maybe a little too comfortable and hmm. it's, you know, time for another, another big change that's, uh, I'm nervous about. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm scared. I really am. And at the same time, I know that I'll come back in three years and say that was absolutely life changing. I'm so glad that we took the risk to go. You know, we're going to be missionaries for for our church, and it wasn't something we asked for. Our church asked us if we'd do it, and you know, my wife and I. It took literally one second for us to make the decision when they asked us. We looked at each other and. We both knew, and we just looked back and we said, "Yes, we'll do it. We'll set our aside our lives for three years, and we'll we'll go do this." So one second, it probably takes longer to decide on dinner <laughs> every night than it did for that. You know, though, Mason, it was just it was so in line, like uh, those five values of our last of our in our in our last name, right? It was like it ticks every single box. It was just it was so perfectly in line with what what we want our lives to be about. And we've been telling our children for years that life isn't about making money. It's, it's about lifting others. It's about looking for ways to, to, to make the world a better place. And so we'd be so disingenuous if we, if we said no to something like this, where, you know, this allowed us to go live the values that we've been teaching our children. And so, um, you know, we'll, and we're bringing our children with us. They'll go have this experience with us. And I'm sure it'll be life-changing for them, just like my childhood living abroad was life-changing for me. There's a lot of folks that listen that aren't members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly referred to as Mormons, who don't feel that, you know, they don't have the same calling in their life or the same sense of purpose the, the way that you do. Why were you asked? Do you know why you were asked or how does that process work? And because it seems like, hey, you know, Davis is doing this great thing. Let him keep doing it. You know, he's making a huge impact on the world this way. What, what's kind of the logic there? Why, why you? I asked myself the same question. I'm not exactly sure. That's not, it's not for us to ask, huh? Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. And so I think, I, you know, I, am, I, am, I believe in God. I'm, I'm a person that has strong faith. And I, I think that God has his hand in things. I really do. And, you know, I think most people that go and do this work, you know, I'm going to be a mission president overseeing a, a geographic area where we have several hundred young missionaries. I was a young missionary when I was 19, 20, 21 in Bolivia. And it was... Uh, it was an experience that that shaped who I am. It built the foundations of my entire life. And so for me to go and, and be able to play a role in leading these young people and helping them, guiding them and inspiring them and, and leading them in, in their great work, it's it's something that I'm really excited about. But most of the people that, that are mission presidents, they're, they're at the tail end of their career. You know, they're a little bit older than I am. And so it's almost like a, a, you know, excuse the terminology, but like a retirement gig or something you do in retirement, maybe. If my, I might be off base there. 
where it's like, hey, we've retired, we've got our kids through college or grown, started their own families. Let's go spend these years of our lives giving back in this way. You're exactly right. Okay. And certainly there are other people like me, my age, also with young kids, but it's it's more the exception than the rule. So yeah, I don't know exactly how they came upon us and why they asked us, but we're grateful they did. And and I will say as easy as the decision was to make, it's not easy. This has not been easy. The last six months as we've been praying, you know, we're leaving in just a few weeks here. Mm. You know, we sold our home. We sold, uh, you know, we sold our furniture. We're selling our cars. We're selling everything we own and uh, we're disrupting our lives. And it's, you know, I'm leaving behind a business that I I feel really called to, that I I really care about. And I'm, you know, we're, it's, it's been hard. I'm, I'm stressed out. You know, I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed and, unsure of myself. It's like, am I even going to be good at this? And, you know, I, I at the same time, like I, I have such a strong belief that like, this is what we were called to do. This is, this is something that is going to be enriching in a way that I just wouldn't have if I stayed here for three years. And, you know, I'll be able to come back and I'll have another 40 years of my life to be able to continue building Cotopaxi. And I won't be CEO anymore. I'm giving up that role as I leave, which, you know, there's some grief. I admit it. You know, I'm, I'm, a li- I'm sad. At the same time, it feels so right. It feels like the right thing. So, well, you know, there's, there's <laughs> here in America, there's not a lot of examples to kind of look at who of folks that I mean, I'm sure there's more than we realize, but like the common story is not, you know, I build this business. I'm in the middle of this, this amazing period of growth, just weathered this storm and now I'm walking away voluntarily voluntold. I don't know, you know, (laughs) know, there's some some range there, but, uh, and then three years later, potentially coming back, who do you look at at these, this time as inspiration or getting, you know, as almost a mentor, is there, I'm sure, you know, folks from your faith, of course, but like anyone in the business world that you can look at and say, you know, that's, that's someone that kind of, kind of went through the same thing that I'm looking at for inspiration. Maybe there's not one. No, there are. There are. And that's, that's the beautiful thing is that, you know, we're not alone. You know, there's, uh, our church has about 400 missions around the world. And so there's mission leaders like us all around the world. And they've all made big sacrifices and some, you know, more than others, more, you know, some have made bigger sacrifices than us. And, but there's one, there's, you know, I, I, I've, we've met up with a lot of great people that have done this work before and that have been giving us advice. And I look up to many of them. One that comes to mind is Dave Checkett's. Dave Checkett's was uh, previously, he was the CEO of Madison Square Gardens, which was like the Knicks. And, you know, obviously Madison Square Gardens, we know that's like a venue as well, that they host concerts and all sorts of things. But he was the youngest president of, of an NBA team. He was a, the president of the, of the Utah Jazz when he was in his 20s. So just a really amazing leader. He's a bit older than me, but he and his wife kind of uprooted their lives. He was, you know, doing some really interesting stuff. He, he's based, uh, you know, he works in New York City. Uh, he has for for decades. And, you know, they, they left for three years, they went to London and he got back just uh, in the last year and a half or two years. And his son, Nate Checkett is a close friend of mine. He's actually the founder of Roan, which is a, an, a, an athleisure kind of apparel brand, really amazing brand. And uh, Nate and I became friends first. And then I got to know his parents and just, you know, talking to Dave Checkett and uh, some of these other people that have gone out and done this, uh, it gave me a lot of confidence that we've made the right decision that, I didn't talk to one person that said, hey, this was really hard and not worth it. They all said, it was the hardest thing I ever did and I will forever be changed. I will forever be a different person. And, you know, I came back and life 
picked back up and I, you know, it was, it was, life was just fine. So yeah, it's been, it's been helpful to talk to some of the people that have navigated this before. Wow. That's uh, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's unique. It's definitely bizarre to those on the outside to, to some, you know, I, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool just to say, you know, this is going to give you a perspective that that very few people have. What, what do you, you know, if you're, you're, you're on this side of this experience, looking ahead, this, a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of grief, like you said, I mean, that's, there's so many emotions that, that I'm probably not even thinking about, but like right now, what advantage or kind of uniqueness do you think this experience will give you when you do come back versus having never done something like this? A lot of leaders never do this. It's, you know, they find this thing, they do it and it's, you know, the next 50 years uninterrupted and it's challenging and hard and you they learn a lot, but what, what about this? Do you think that it will just give you, I don't know, what, what edge do you think that'll give you? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I'll maybe share a little analogy. And I actually, I, I shared this uh, on LinkedIn just a few days ago. You know, I was, last week I was in Turkey and I went to a place called Cappadocia and it's this, it's in central Turkey, this beautiful mountainous kind of region. It looks a lot like Southern Utah. If anyone's been to Southern Utah, like this red rock, really cool rock formations everywhere. This part of Turkey is just beautiful. They have these, they call them fairy chimneys, these like beautiful, like rock formations that kind of pop up everywhere. And you take a hot air balloon and you, before the sun rises, you, you, you take this hot air balloon and there's about 150 other hot air balloons all around this valley that are all kind of lifting up. And it is the most, one of the most beautiful things I've seen in my life. I mean, I got goosebumps just watching it happen and the sun's rising and the sky is like orange and you see all these balloons and what makes it so beautiful. You can't even see your own balloon. When you're in a hot air balloon, you look up, you can't see the balloon. You don't even know what your balloon looks like, but you can see everyone else. And what makes it so beautiful if you were just on your own, it wouldn't even be that beautiful. What was beautiful was seeing everyone else rise. And it was, uh, you know, the beauty of being together and experiencing something together. And I think that's what I'm going to experience, Mason. It's I'm going to be able to watch these young people rise and see them grow and mature and become amazing people. And when I get back in three years, these several hundred young people are going to be part of my life for the rest of my life. I guarantee when I die, they're going to be at my funeral. When they get married, when they have these big life events, I'm going to be there for them. And I hope that I can inspire them not just to do great work for the two years that they're missionaries, but that they can do good in the world for the rest of their lives. And so that's something I just would never have the opportunity to do if I, if I just stayed here. My next question was going to be, what will be success in this new role? But it's, it sounds like the reasons you just listed would be, would be what success is. Anything else? You would add to that? You know, I would, I would include my family. I, I hope that my children love, learn to love Brazil and love Latin America like I, like I learned when I was a kid. I hope that they are able to see service in action and li lives dedicated to greater, you know, great causes and noble ideas. That life isn't just about working to make money, that it's about lifting. And I hope that they come away different as well and changed. Let's say you come back and, you know, who knows what happens in this three years? I mean, you might, uh, I, I don't know how it works exactly. So forgive that, that ignorance, but there, you never know what happens. You just don't know. But like, say, based on your plan now, you come back and you're involved with Cotopaxi in some way. 
how do you think you'll change as a leader? Like what, what will be, you think will be very different about how you lead moving forward? One of our three core values at Cotopaxi is people. I've always been very uh, people focused and driven. I, I love, I love people. And, uh, you know, in our company, we talk a lot about love and I think it's actually one of the most underutilized tools in leadership is love. But I think I'm going to come back with like, honestly, just a bigger heart. I think when you go spend three years and every day is about loving and serving somebody else, I, I, it, you, you just, you're different. And so I think I'm going to come back and just have a new level of, of love for those that are on my team at Cotopaxi. And I suspect I'm going to spend more time, especially now that I'm given, you know, I've given up the CEO role, some of the day-to-day grind that happens in the CEO, like an executive role, like I'm just not going to have to stress about. So maybe a little bit more of my time can be spent on the people and the team and the culture and, and our impact work as well. Like that's something I'm very passionate about, but I think I'm going to be able to spend more time thinking about our impact work and how we continue to fight poverty. And, you know, we've, we've helped 3.8 million people to date living in poverty and that number is just going to grow. So I think that's one thing I'm going to spend a lot more time on is how do we go expand that, that impact work that we're working on. Tell us a little bit about wh- where, where is Cotopaxi going as you're getting ready to, to veer off, take an exit into a new, new path for a while before coming back on. What is the direction Cotopaxi head, is heading from maybe uh, an impact point of view, a uh, size point of view, like w- where would you say this, this is our kind of, this is our North star and this is where we're headed right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, from a, from a size perspective, uh, you know, the brand is growing quickly. You know, we've, we've grown last year, we grew 90%. Last year we surpassed the hundred million revenue mark in the next 12 months or so we'll be getting close to 200 million. And so, you know, we're, we're aiming you know, we'll, we'll be at a billion dollars in revenue sometime in the next decade. I don't know exactly when. And what excites me about that is not the revenue piece of that. It's, 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 it's really about the impact that we can have. And just knowing that the way that we can change the world is by changing capitalism, by saying, you know, capitalism has been an amazing tool for the last few hundred years. It's done a lot of amazing things. At the same time, we are destroying the planet. We are leaving people behind. There are people that are living the same way we did 2000 years ago. Why? Why are people living like that still? If we can show that a business can not only do good, but it can do well while it's doing good. In fact, we're, the reason we're successful is because we think beyond ourselves. We think beyond just making money. And I think if we can show that, I think that's when we can really start seeing a huge impact because we'll, we'll see thousands of other businesses and millions of consumers join in this movement. What are you doing to prepare yourself for this inevitable change because sometimes change happens abruptly. We don't expect it could be everything from a weather situation to a family scenario. You know, there's, there's a million things that could happen. How do you prepare for something that you know is coming and is going to be a momentum momentous shift? I know that from a faith point of view, there's probably a lot you're doing, but what, what, what are some of those ways you're getting your mind ready, your heart ready to kind of just change everything? One of the most important things we've done is we've spent time with, with people, the people that we love, our friends and family. And we've also spent time with people that we really admire, people that knew people that, we, that have been through similar experiences. And so I think the more we've connected with the people that we love and we've made new friends and connected with people that have been through similar experiences that can talk about their lessons learned, I think that's, for me, the best way to prepare because I can, I can spend, you know, you can read about something, you can, you know, you can 
go through all the training that, you know, we're going through all these training, this training that we're going through, but like, it's, it's when you go spend time with somebody and you hear their experiences that can be vulnerable about, uh, vulnerable about what went well and what didn't go well and what they would do differently and what they, what they figured out. Like that's where, you know, we have so many notes right now. It's like almost overwhelming actually to, to look through the notes. Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, where do we even start? But I think a lot of it, when we get there on the ground, a lot of it will come back to us. We'll be able to go back and read some of the things. And But again, I think just being with others and surrounding ourselves with others that, that have been through these moments, I think has been a great part of the preparation. A lot of it is also just like in, our, the, in your headspace, like preparing. And I don't know that I've done a good job there because I feel like I'm a, I think I'm a train wreck right now. I'm like, I'm, I'm so anxious. <laughs> I'm like really nervous and I think I need to be in a better headspace, but uh, you know, in three or so weeks, we're going to, we're going to be off on this adventure and yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I'm really nervous too. Is being open about this stuff just always been your MO or is it, is it something you've learned over time as a leader has been, it's been better for your team, better for the people around you to just, just be honest. I've never been very good. Like, I don't think I'd be very good at poker or anything like I, I just, <laughs> I've, I've, I always have worn my emotions on my sleeve ever since I was like a teenager. So uh, yeah, I think it just, it's just part of who I am. And it probably serves me well sometimes, probably doesn't other times. But, I was going to say, yeah. as, as, as an entrepreneur, I feel like you, you almost, you're expected to not, but I, I, it's impossible for me. If there's something happening at work or it's a bad day or a good day, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to tell my wife. I'm going to, you know, man up or whatever and not say anything for a couple of days and just weather it. And and as soon as she walks in, she's like, what's wrong? Because <laughs> it's apparent. <laughs> yeah. It's like just, there's no hiding it. So it's just, it's just been something like, I, I can't do it. I can't, like you said, I can't have that poker face. So that's, that's yeah, pretty well, funny. You and you and I are similar then. It's, uh, some people are gifted with that ability to just kind of compartmentalize and kind of, I think, uh, kind of, I don't know keep things buttoned up a little bit yeah, more, but yeah, I just, yeah I, I they, can, they can always have that smile or whatever. And it, it's, you know, I, I work for athletic brewing. I don't know if you know about them, but yeah, we, of course uh, I do. Yeah. You know, a fellow B Corp, we've done a, some work. We're actually doing a big giveaway right now with, with a lot of those giveaways are the Cotopaxi, the, the, the duffel bag, the famous duffel oh, bag. And, uh, you know, I have one of those from athletic and I've been a huge fan. I, I think the, the big thing that caught me, I love color. I love bright. I mean, this, this hat is obvious. I love bright, uh, ob almost obnoxious colors. Y'all take it and make it beautiful. And that was probably the first thing that drew me to Cotopaxi was just the boldness. And I'm like, oh, what is this brand? This is so cool. I love the, I love all the, you know, the different patterns and yeah. zipper colors. And I just want to say, I've been a personally a huge fan for years and love what y'all are doing. And, and the more I learn about the company, the more I just love how y'all have been doing it. But Let's wrap this up with a couple of questions. And we'll let you go. As you're looking forward to this this new adventure, any bucket list items or anything while you're down in Brazil, you you just have to do any adventures. Will you have time for anything like that, or is it really just full commitment for three years in in TBD? What's next? It's a pretty full commitment. In fact, for the three years, I don't even come back to the United States. Like I, I'm actually in this the city in northeastern Brazil for three years straight. That said, I feel like, uh, again, I, I mentioned I believe in God. I think God knew me because he sent me to a really beautiful part of, of the world. And there's a little set of islands right off the coast of where we live called Fernando de Noronha. And they are some of the most beautiful islands I've seen in my life. And so definitely going to have to go hit that up with my kids. And But yeah, there won't be a whole lot of time for my adventures. I don't think I'll be able to do any survival trips. So I'm going to, I might have to, when I get back, I might have to binge on a few of those. <laughs> 
but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the adventure. This will be a three-year survival trip in a way. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of like in uh, Hawaii when Molokai was the uh, the leper colony. I'm like, could be worse. You know, it could be a lot worse place to kind of be in a leper colony. But for uh, sure, absolutely. Um, so, Davis, one thing that I've noticed about you, you, you share a lot of perspective and experiences um, in different places, social, LinkedIn, all that. Um, will there be anywhere folks can follow along your journey and like what you're doing? Do you have any plans to capture it? I'm not sure what you know your church will allow, but tell us yeah. about how you're planning to like track all this and share it. Yeah, so I'm going to continue to post. You know, I I post regularly on LinkedIn. I love that community. I love sharing lessons that I've learned as an entrepreneur and as a founder and as a leader and just life perspectives a lot of times. So I'm going to continue to post on there, probably not as frequently because I'm not going to be posting a whole lot about, you know, the mission. I'll be posting on occasion though. And then uh, Instagram, I think that's what I'm going to be using for more of some of my more personal stuff, maybe a little bit more details about some of the work we're doing down there and other things. But People can search for me there on on Instagram or LinkedIn. Davis, uh, I know time is precious in these last few weeks, so I, I can't be more thankful for spending some time with us here on Adventure Sports Podcast. A lot of big fans of Cotopaxi here. A lot of big, you know, lot, most of our listeners are in the Mountain West of the U.S., and so a lot of people are going to be familiar with who you are and what this is, and and pretty perplexed slash inspired slash intrigued by this change coming. So thanks for just doing things your way. It's obviously working and I hope it continues to. Well, Mason, it means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. You know, I, I mentioned before we started recording, like I, I've done a number of podcasts. I've been saying no to all the new podcasts because I'm just got so much on my plate. But when you reached out, it was like, this is what I've got to be on. I just like, this is my community. These are the kind of, you know, these are the kind of things I love talking about. And Mason, good job. You've done a great job building this podcast. So well done. Oh, thank you so much. We'll, we'll have to talk in a few years when you're back and just see how it went. This is this is an adventure. You know, not all adventures have backpacks and are on a trail. I mean, yeah. You know, th- this is a, this is the adventure of life. So thanks, Davis. Good luck to you and your family, and, and thank you so much. Thank you, Mason. Appreciate it. First of all. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.